1: Welcome to the free version
2: of the Michael Savage Podcast, and I'm gonna keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just three ninety nine. That's it, three ninety nine a month. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash savagepremium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. This is not a very fun day for me for a number of reasons because we have mad men. Mad women running the Western world. Instead of seeking peace, they're seeking more war. They actually believe they could destroy Russia. Now, why would you want to destroy Russia when they were our natural ally in destroying ISIS? I'll let you figure that out. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not an apologist for Putin or for Russia's actions in Ukraine. I'm trying to be as objective as I can. Today's podcast, though, is about the coming famine, endless war, and $49 billion to corrupt Ukraine. How much of that $49 billion do you think will flow back to the radical leftist fanatical Democrats who just went over to Ukraine to visit Zelensky, the comedian? Do you think they went there to make sure some of it flowed back to the uh, top? The podcast is, though, about the coming famine and endless war. As I said, $49 billion to corrupt Ukraine. So let's begin. Today's interview is with a decorated combat veteran, Colonel Douglas McGregor. He is also a Ph.D. in a defense and foreign policy consultant. And remember this, VMI, West Point, these are very significant credentials. But more than that, he is a Ph.D. in international relations from the University of Virginia. He's also well known in Europe, Israel, Russia, China, and Korea for his leadership in the tank battle called Battle of 73 Easting, the U.S. Army's largest tank battle since World War II. Therefore, he knows what he is talking about. He's not Wolf Blitzer or Jake Tapper. He's not a talk show host. And so I asked him today, is sending weapons to Ukraine making the situation better or worse? Of course, it's throwing lighter fluid on a fire. Why would Pelosi and Schiff and some of the worst leftists and most corrupt leftists in American history, make a sudden and secretive visit to Kiev to visit the comedian Zelensky. Why? What do you think they were doing there? You'll hear all about it today on the Michael Savage podcast. But most importantly, we're talking about famine. What is going to result as a result of this endless war? Instead of seeking peace and ending this thing, sending emissaries to stop it. They're sending weapons to start it. We're going to talk about what happens should Putin go in for cancer surgery. Who is the new head of Russia? What is he liable to do? We're going to talk about whether or not Putin has really used the full force of his military. Is there a solution to this crisis? That's what I'm interested in. Can you really trust what you're seeing in the media about Ukraine? Or is this the most propagandist war we've ever seen? There's a lot more on the Michael Savage podcast today. And, of course, it's easy to say I'm an apologist for Putin, which is a total lie. I'm not an apologist for anyone. I'm trying to be as objective as I can. And in my own small way, I'm trying to stop the madness before a nuclear exchange begins that we can't stop. You should know that Putin has the military capacity to have devastated all of Ukraine by now, if they really wanted to. And, of course, they don't want to do that. But you wouldn't know that reading the New York Times. What about the atrocities that we have been seeing? Ask yourself, are they real? Well, you'll see what Colonel McGregor has to say about the alleged atrocities of mass burials. You might be surprised by what you learn. Now, why is the corrupt left there? Why did Schiff, Shifty Schiff, one of the slimiest people in American politics, the corrupt Pelosi, a communist congressman from Massachusetts. What were they doing there? Well, follow the money. We know that Ukraine is a bottomless pit for corruption, let's be frank. And this is where the connectivity to Hunter Biden with the Ukrainians comes in. And you'll hear more about it on today's podcast. But what about the new man who's going to take over should Putin go in for cancer surgery? He is the head of the Russian Federal Police. He's the one behind the Ukraine invasion. And people listening to this podcast should understand that virtually everyone in the leadership in Russia other than Putin is far more hardline than Putin himself. You didn't know that. Most of you don't know that, and you'll learn how that is and how Putin is actually quite liberal compared to what's coming in this situation. You'll learn about it right here on the Michael Savage podcast. Do you think that the Russians are going to escalate their military operations? You'll find the surprising answer in this podcast. But what about China? Where does China fit in? It seems to me that what Biden has achieved with his stupidity and senility and the girls running his administration is to drive Russia and China together. Russia and China together. You'll learn in today's podcast that Russia has things that China needs. Russia has, for example, an abundance of food. Russia has an abundance of oil and gas, natural gas. Russia has an abundance of minerals and metals. And these are things that China desperately needs. Moreover, you will learn from Colonel McGregor in today's interview that the Chinese are looking at what we are doing to Russia, and they conclude that they're next on the target list of the United States. That's right, the insane megalomaniacal girls running this administration believe they can destroy Russia and China together and take over the entire world. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in very dangerous times. Again, the title is The Coming Famine, Endless War, and $49 billion to corrupt Ukraine I hope you enjoy my interview with Colonel McGregor and thank you very much for listening and
1: supporting our sponsors Michael Savage a host like no other welcome
2: back to the Michael Savage program always an honor to talk to you doctor well, we seem to be the odd men out with regard to this uh, war in uh, Ukraine. Are you receiving um, kind of pushback on your opinions in
0: any way? I know I am. Well, in D.C., of course, uh, everyone is uh, sort of whipped into an anti-Russian frenzy. Yes, and so, you know, listen, this is the sort of thing that you and I have witnessed in the past. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier today about Noam Chomsky's very good book called Manufactured Consent.
2: You know, now he's a, as far left as you can get. And he's against this madness, isn't he?
0: Yeah. And of course, you, know, you don't have to agree with everything he says to appreciate, you know, his work and his thinking. And of course well, last week.
2: I don't like his work or his thinking, but I like the fact that he dared come out as a true liberal and say, Hey, stop the madness. Oh, that's right. Absolutely now let me begin, Douglas McGregor. People know who you are. You're a decorated combat veteran. You are a colonel. Five books, PhD. You went to VMI, West Point. You're as good as they get in the military world. I mean, I have a friend who went to VMI many years ago, so I'm well-schooled in the prestige of VMI in West Point because his family is from there. You led Battle 73 Easting, the U.S. Army's largest tank battle since World War II, which unto itself should put you at the top of the military heap in terms of opinion. So let me ask you as a military expert, we saw the Defense Secretary, Austin, go over to Ukraine, allegedly. I don't even believe they were in Ukraine. Do we really know if they were in Ukraine or were they were meeting with Zelensky somewhere else? I, I'm starting to suspect, and again, this is just my suspicious nature, Colonel, that these, these are staged visits somewhere else, like
0: in Poland. Well, we know that Zelensky did go to Poland when he met with uh, the leaders of Slovakia, Poland, and uh, another country, which one... This case, me I can't remember which one it may have been Lithuania, but on this occasion, no, I think they were actually in Kiev. And again, the Russians have not been attacking uh, those areas because they they don't have uh, large stores of armaments. There are not large concentrations of Ukrainian forces there, so I think it's probably safe for them to go in and out of Kiev. We both agree that
2: Russia is doing everything it can. To limit civilian casualties. I mean, I'm not apologizing for Putin. I'm not a Putin apologist, but I'm trying to be as objective as I can. And in my own small way, try to stop the madness leading us to a nuclear uh, exchange that could get insane. Isn't it true that Putin has the, the military capacity to have devastated all of Ukraine by now if he wanted to? I think so,
0: and uh, he clearly doesn't want to do that, hasn't wanted to do it. I think that's actually helped to slow his operations down. They would have made much better progress had they attacked eastern Ukraine as though the the eastern Ukraine was an enemy state. They really didn't. Uh, Remember, the the front that he moved on initially, or the Russian army did, is about the same distance as from Kansas City, Missouri, to New York City. That's a very broad front, and he distributed – 100,000 plus troops along that uh, line and ended up, uh, I think, making a mistake in so far as he did not concentrate his capabilities early enough to do real damage to the Ukrainian forces. But look, there were a lot of assumptions made, I'm sure some of which were accurate, some of which weren't. One of the things that has come to my attention and talked to several people about this is that when he went in there, he, he had very limited objectives. He said, what we really want to do is uh, essentially extract a pledge of neutrality from the Ukrainian government. We want independence, not independence, but autonomy for the Donbass breakaway republics. We want the Russian citizens of Ukraine treated equally. And we want you to recognize that Crimea belongs to us. And we are going to destroy these, quote unquote, Nazi-like formations that are in parts of eastern Ukraine. Not all Ukrainian forces, but those that... Redeemed uh, in that category. Well, so I, I want uh, uh, to uh, intervene
2: here. There are links between the Nazi movement of World War II and uh, people do not seem to want to remember or they don't know to begin with. Again, we're not saying all of, to me, it looks like a, a crazy situation where they're using a, a Jewish leader. It's very clever. The Azov battalion and their leadership constantly hides behind Zelensky's Jewish blood. Let me put it to you that way, because when you say Jewish, what does it really mean? There are lapsed Jews, just like there are lapsed Christians. There are practicing Jews, practicing Christians. There are lapsed Catholics. So what does it mean, Jewish? Okay, fine. So he was born Jewish. Terrific. But that doesn't excuse what we're seeing here. Article came out, heroic ghost of Kiev, fighter doesn't actually exist, Ukraine admits. You saw that story the other day?
0: Yes. Most of us that have followed this have known that for a long time. Right. I, I, the minute
2: I saw it, it smelled bad to me. And I'm asking you, Colonel, as a military expert, what else doesn't really exist? What else is not real with regard to this war that we are watching?
0: Well, you know, my view on the, the alleged atrocities and mass burials. Hmm. First of all, none of that has been thoroughly investigated by an independent authority and verified. These are all unsupported allegations that are treated as fact and truth by the mainstream media in the West, not just here, but
2: also in Europe. You're saying that there was staging involved, in your opinion, or could be? I I think
0: so in many cases. Some of it is just a flat-out lie, Uh, because I see no evidence that there was ever any interest whatsoever on the Russian side in killing large numbers of fellow Orthodox Christian Slavs, Simply don't believe it, especially in the eastern part of Ukraine. And remember, he made it clear from the beginning that they were going to uh, limit or confine their operations to eastern Ukraine. He has no interest in crossing into western Ukraine over the Dnieper River. That's the Ukrainian heartland. It's not Russian. The areas that he's gone into are historically Russian. And the people there are culturally and linguistically, for the most part, Russian. So, you know, maybe know, you just know, presented I, I, a very false picture, Doctor.
2: Well, okay, Colonel, I, I hear you. And it bothers me in my own thinking, because I see what you're saying, and I've thought the same thing, but truthfully, there is an analogy to be made with Hitler saying, I'm going to take this to because it's largely German-speaking. I mean, there is a valid argument to be made that there's a comparability here. It doesn't change anything. What bothers me the most is that Pelosi... Schiff and all of the most corrupt left wing Democrats suddenly go to visit Zelensky a few days ago and people are scratching their heads saying, wait a minute, I figured out why. One of the reasons and I like your your feeling on my crazy statement, it's not so crazy to say that Pelosi has always wanted to be president. She's only a heartbeat away from becoming the president of this country. It's right out of the Godfather. She's trying to show some kind of presidential abilities here. So Biden is not long for this job, in my estimation. His senility is rapidly increasing in severity. Shaking hands with the air, having an Easter bunny push him out of the conversational zone with with school children. It's actually pathetic to watch this. It could happen to any of us at a certain age. He's not fit for office. Kamala is absolutely not fit for office. (laughs) Machiavellian thinking they'd either either move Kamala to another position or she'd suddenly get ill. What are they doing there? Others are saying all over the Internet that the reason that the far left went there, the corrupt shift, the corrupt Pelosi, was something to do with money, billions of dollars in military aid. Where is it all going?
0: Well, Ukraine is a bottomless pit. For corruption. Okay. Uh, Let's be frank. It is. And this is where we've seen the connectivity of Hunter Biden with the Mm -hmm. Ukrainians. And this man, uh, this oligarch, is backing that Azov regiment. He's also the individual that uh, personally recruited Zelensky to play the role of president. I think at some point we're going to figure out that much of this was staged. This is a facade
2: Wait, what? Wait, so
0: I'm not following you. I one. think this whole thing with the Ukrainian government and its current leadership is a facade. I don't think it's real. Uh, well, wait, I, well, I I'll I'll felt back. from the
1: beginning that was the case. Most savage nation, it's savage on demand. Let's back it up. 2014,
2: 2013, 2014. Rather, McCain goes over there, stirs up a revolution against a duly elected leader who was at peace with Russia. People could say he was a stooge of Putin, but there was no war. That was the point. There was no bloodshed. There was no massive civilian emigration or being pushed out of the cities. Weren't being bombed. So McCain goes over there, stirs up the so-called Maiden Revolution, and then they install. Is that when Zelensky was installed?
0: No. Zelensky comes along in 2018, He's elected and basically elected on a, quote, unquote, peace platform. He was advocating understanding with Russia, which is why he was overwhelmingly elected. Oh, my God. Particularly in the eastern part of the country where people wanted no war with Russia. Oh, God.
2: Well, I have no faith in this man for a number of reasons, and I don't want to talk about him anymore because it gets me sick that he's being presented as some great world leader. He's probably the most popular world leader right now, the most well-known world leader right now. He's nothing but a failed, perverted comedian, in my opinion. And what's even worse, and I've studied this, his entire cabinet consists of people from his theater company.
0: Yes. Am I correct in that? Yes. Yes. That's why I said this is, is something of a facade. You know, there are other people running the show in Ukraine on the ground, in the military and elsewhere. This is kind of a, a an ornament that is presented to the public. Well, we see that the rumors are
2: mm-hmm. that that uh, Putin's going to undergo cancer surgery. We don't know if that's true, do we? Yes, yeah, I think it is. It is true, in your opinion, and your I know, your I, I think it is. Yes. Opinion. Okay, so let's say Putin's going under the knife, mm-hmm. and the power is going to be handed over to someone even more hardline than he is a man whose name we're all going to get to know very soon, Nikolai Prachush Patrushev, head well, of the Russian Federal Police and Security Council.
0: Look, I, I think, uh, Dr. Savage, that people don't understand in the West that virtually everyone other than Putin is far, far more hardline than he is. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. <clears throat> yes, Absolutely. People say, well, he was a KGB officer, but what we discovered during the Cold War was that the people that were in the KGB had spent the most time outside of Russia and really understood what was happening in the West better than 99% of their comrades on the inside. So is a perfect example of that. He spent a lot of time in Germany. He understood the Germans, and he understood the West in many ways that nobody else did. And uh, he's always been under the gun, literally, in Russia for being, quote-unquote, pro-Western, for insisting that Russia's future demanded good relations with the West. Somebody exactly. ever points this out, but that's
2: true. He, he's more centrist, you're saying, than the leadership in Russia, which we are about to witness. Oh, right? absolutely. Absolutely. That's a big takeaway message. So given that that's the case, Colonel McGregor. <clears throat> Do you think that they're going to escalate their military um, operations shortly?
0: No. I I think that the Russians, first of all, the Russians are not Germans. And uh, the mistake that many of us make is that we tend to impute to them the kind of thinking, military and political, that that we've seen over the years uh, since World War II, uh, with either the Soviets or their or the uh, predecessors during the Second World War, the Nazis. It's just wrong. If anything, I would say they're very cautious. And the last thing they want is a nuclear confrontation. What they have said is that we are ready and prepared to employ nuclear weapons if we're pushed to do it. That's it. That's all they've said. And they've said that repeatedly over many, many years. There's nothing new in that. But the notion that they are interested in precipitating that is utter nonsense. It would be like saying that the, the one thing that President Biden thinks about every morning is a nuclear detonation over Moscow. That's nonsense. He doesn't think about that either. So I, I think we should stop the the irresponsible talk about nuclear exchanges.
2: Well, there's so much here that troubles me from the top to the bottom. For example, the Azov Regiment, which is largely, would you say, is that the regiment that is most Nazi-like? Yes. When we say Nazi-like, does that mean that they are descended from the groups that fought alongside the SS in World War II?
0: I think they see themselves in
2: those terms. Okay, let's leave it at that. People don't even know what the Azov Regiment is. So when Putin talks about Nazi-like elements in Ukraine, he is fundamentally referring to the Azov Regiment. Yes. So a thousand of them or so were trapped inside the Azov-style steel plant using a thousand women and children as hostages. Because he could have, they could have let those women and children
0: out, couldn't they? Yes. But they've done that across the country whenever they've been confronted with a situation that uh, meant life or death for them. I mean, Ukrainian forces in general have used the local population is human shields. Now, in other cases, uh, humanitarian corridors were opened up and the Russians enabled the, the civil population to get out. But in the case of the Azov Regiment, no, they haven't really allowed it. Now, I'm told within the last 24 hours there's been a change and that we are seeing civilians emerge. But keep in mind that this Azov, who started out as a battalion, consisted of several thousand people. And these were fanatics. I mean, you can go on YouTube and you can see videos of Russian captured Russian soldiers in 2014 being burned alive uh, by these people. Haven't seen that on
2: ABC recently.
0: I mean, this sort of thing is outrageous. And and remember that in Odessa, uh, several dozen Russians that were fighting against the Ukrainian takeover down there were burned alive in a building. And these things made a profound impression on the Russians in Moscow. And they actually have said publicly, we know who you were, who you are and what you did. And we're coming for you. But that's, a, that's a, that's not the whole force. That is just a portion of it, but it is real and it is Nazi
1: in its orientation without question. <laughs> The savage nation, it's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw.
2: So Patrushev, if I'm pronouncing Nikolai's last name correctly, who will be taking the reins of power in, in Moscow as Putin undergoes cancer surgery. Do you, do you, Colonel, do you envision a change in military or political strategy in the near future?
0: No, I think the, uh, I think the ship's on a, on a course now that's not likely to change. What, what has happened behind the scenes, it hasn't necessarily been announced publicly, is as follows. Remember when the Russians went in initially, they had very limited goals. They only planned to operate really on the periphery of the country. They expected that once they entered the country and they demonstrated the seriousness of the matter, that fruitful negotiations would produce an outcome. And the outcome they wanted was a neutral Ukraine, autonomy for the Donbass Republics, the Luhansk and Donetsk, and then recognition of Crimea as part of Russia. And they wanted the Minsk Accords respected. Remember that over the last six, seven, eight years, you've had constant attacks launched by the Ukrainians on these two autonomous republics, shelling virtually every day, killing large numbers of civilians. They wanted that to stop. And about the time that they made the decision to go in, you had a large concentration of Ukrainian forces, somewhere between forty and 60,000, just to the west of these autonomous republics. And the feeling was that uh, they were about to launch an offensive to try and break in and destroy uh, those two uh, autonomous republics. And so they felt their hand was forced. Now, all of that has changed now because they've discovered several things. First of all, large numbers of people that live in eastern Ukraine, certainly the eastern and southern portions are really Russian. And they they expected that these people would come over. However, they found out that the people were reluctant to show their hands because they said if you're only coming in for a brief period of time to accomplish these limited objectives, that means you're going to leave. And when you leave, if we cooperate in any way with you, the Ukrainian secret police will show up and murder us all. So the bottom line is that they, they made a serious mistake when they went in there and said we're going to come in and, and and then leave. They should have said we're coming into those areas that are Russian and we're going to stay. That would have made life a lot easier in the east and the south for the Russian forces. The second thing that, that I think they made a big mistake was that they thought that they could avoid a lot of collateral damage. Uh, that the Ukrainian forces, when pressured, would give up. Well, that hasn't happened primarily because we, and the British in particular, the two governments, have not only turned over huge quantities of equipment to them, but encouraged them to continue to fight, fight, fight. Remember, Zelensky, his representatives in Istanbul, when they went there under Erdogan's uh, dubious uh, sponsorship, said, we agree to neutrality. And we're willing to talk about these other things. And the Russians came out and said, well, that's you haven't come far enough yet, but we that's positive. And then they backed off for a while. Then Zelensky was told by us and and London, no, you will not make that concession. You need to stay the course. Fight. We're with you. We're behind you. And everything changed. So I think that's the problem right now is that the Russians have seen no alternative to systematically rooting out and destroying Ukrainian forces. And that's what's happening down in the Donbass. And this is the last bastion for the Ukrainian armed forces. In the meantime, we're starting to deliver huge quantities of equipment. Which well, is what we uh, promised.
2: Zelensky is using martial law in Ukraine, ignored by the media in America. He's banned 11 pro-Russia political parties, including the largest opposition party, he is now compiling a list or lists, it's new headline, Ukrainian government compiling public <laughs> registry of collaborators. This to me is something every fair-minded American should be extremely concerned about because it matches what is being done here in America with uh, the Department of Homeland Security, for example, where on the same road as the ex-Soviet Union, it seems like we're learning from Zelensky a little too well, at least the Biden administration is. But I want to go back to the weapons that are being sent over there. Russia certainly knows where they're being staged and how they're going to be moved into into Ukraine. I'm not a military man, but I would think that they could tra- track the movement of these weapons with satellites and destroy them with cruise missiles, correct?
0: Yes. Uh, first of all, nothing happens in western Ukraine that the Russians don't know about. We, we we forget that this entire region was part of the same country for decades, and the languages are very close. They're not identical. They are different, but they're close. It's not difficult for anyone who's a Russian to speak Ukrainian and, and vice versa. So the notion that anything is happening in western Ukraine that has escaped the attention of the Russians is nonsense. Mm. So first of all, anything that shows up there that they think is threatening can easily be targeted and destroyed. And the second thing is that whatever we send is going to require, with few exceptions, a lot of training. Uh, Now, I'm told that we have been training Ukrainian forces for several weeks in Poland. And so the training time for the howitzers that we are sending has been dramatically compressed. That may be true. But you're trying to move very heavy equipment a long distance In that part of the world, that means rail lines. Rail lines are easy, easy to target and disrupt. But we know
2: this, and I'm not a military man. You are. We, I know it. You know it. Everyone studying this knows it. So the Russians aren't going to let them get those 155-millimeter howitzers,
0: are they? I doubt it. How would they destroy them? Well, if they put them on rail and they start moving them on the rails, I suspect that the rails will be disrupted. In other words, they'll cut the rail lines. And probably uh, target the, the equipment on on the track beds. I mean, that's what we we did during World War II when we didn't have precision weapons. That's what we did to the Germans with great effect. Just and I would blow, blow up or, or blow up the railroad lines. Yes, of course, and I'm sure that that's what the the Russians will do. But again, remember, from the beginning, the objective was let's not destroy anything we don't have to destroy. Now things have changed, and I think they realize that they can't do that anymore. And so I would expect that the the equipment sets on the ground in Western Ukraine could be destroyed. And again, this is a dangerous thing, uh, Dr. Savage. When you start amassing equipment stores just over the border from Poland and they become targets, Mm -hmm. there's always a possibility that something goes wrong, an erratic missile, an erratic weapon system, and you strike something in Poland without intending to
1: do so, right? That's how it goes. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. So we're pouring
2: heavy weapons into a war zone, which would be the equivalent of a a gang war going on in the Bronx in New York and taking sides in a gang war, I mean, to make it very simplistic, Hmm. and sending weapons to one of the gangs and expect their peace to reign when you're sending in heavy weapons to a gang in the Bronx. Where is the diplomacy, Colonel? Why is there no diplomacy? Why are the war drums being beaten instead of the peace drums? What's wrong with the picture?
0: Well, you're asking why the Russian hate mobilization is so overwhelming. And, and to be frank with you, I've asked that myself. The only conclusion I can come to is that the people that are driving the train in Washington on both sides of the aisle, frankly, have convinced themselves that Russia's destruction, if not its degradation, is vital to our military hegemony in Europe. That's old Cold War thinking.
2: It's Ronald Reagan, it's the neocons, it's the Fox News guys. Uh, all of them want war against Russia. Oh, we don't really want war. We just want war. Oh, we don't really want war with Russia. We just want Russia destroyed. We don't really want Russia destroyed. We have nothing against the Russian people. We just want the military degraded. Well, China just said two days ago that they're now aligned with Russia, which is a disaster for us. What we have achieved here under this failed policy, in my estimation, is a disaster. We've actually driven Russia and China closer together. Would you agree with that, with the long-range view of that one?
0: You're, you're spot on. And remember that this is a mutually <clears throat> beneficial arrangement because Russia has things that China needs. Russia has an abundance of food. Russia has an abundance of oil and gas, natural gas. It has an abundance of minerals and metals. These are things the Chinese desperately need. Hmm. So the Chinese also have another reason. They look at what's happening to Russia and they conclude, not unreasonably, that they're next on the target list to the United States. Mm. And so their view is, well, why sit here and be another target for the United States? We might as well support our neighbors, the Russians, and ensure that they survive and thrive. And by the way, I I think that's happening. I looked at the charts today. The ruble that that almost crashed into oblivion has fully recovered and is actually stronger now than it's ever been before.
2: Um, Oh, That's a big deal because people are still under the mistaken notion that the great Biden team destroyed the ruble and made it worthless. Yeah. The opposite is true. Yes.
0: How did that happen? Well, I think first of all, Putin said we're going to t- we're going to tie the ruble to gold and uh, energy commodities. So the ruble has real, tangible, concrete value. It's not just paper. It's not just another fiat currency. And then, secondly, he said that we'll honor our debts, whatever they are. And he has a very small one, by the way. Mm. And then third, you know, he's demanded payments in rubles. You've got to use my currency if you want to buy from me.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And the Chinese and are working with him on this. Obviously, he's been able to turn to the Chinese banking system uh, as a parallel uh, alternative to what we offer through the SWIFT system. Right. The SWIFT system,
2: they were taken off the SWIFT system, which is just an exchange of currencies in essence. <laughs> An immediate exchange of currencies, so they punished Russia, so they thought, and Russia then figured a way around that uh, with a fundamental sw- shift to another uh, uh, trading platform, in essence, and they drew them closer to China. Well, there are so many other elements. You know, people don't realize that Colonel McGregor is not only a military man, but he has an MA in comparative politics, a PhD in international relations. relations which is what we're talking about, international relations. What the hell happened to international relations under Biden? Under Trump, this never would have happened. We all know that. It didn't happen. Now we have Arabs at the throats of the Israelis. The Israelis on almost on a war footing again. Middle East is in turmoil. We're at war with Russia in a proxy war, according to every expert who is studying this. Colonel McGregor, can this be say? Can this stop? Madness. Can this, can this madness be stopped before an accident
0: occurs? Oh, absolutely. Now keep in mind in the Middle East, take a trip to Israel, talk to officers in the Israeli Defense Force and ask them how beneficial our intervention in Iraq has been for Israel. (laughs) You know, we destabilized, we destroyed stability in the region. Mm. We've created, uh, you know, a sort of a permanent uh, fire that burns Uncontrollably in, in northern Iraq and southern Syria. The only good news is, uh, I would argue, if we would were smart enough, we, we would understand this. I think Mr. Putin does, but we don't. The only good news is that the Iranians and the Turks are now at each other's throats. And if we get out of the way in northern Iraq, I, I think they'll have a very fine time killing each other. <laughs> and as my Israeli friends say, you know, Douglas, when your enemies are killing each other, don't interrupt. And of course they're right now when it comes to Europe that's a different different kettle of fish entirely we we're now using the poles who seem to be delighted with the developments in Ukraine as, as a, an additional battering ram against russia we're exploiting all of the old hatreds uh, and sentiments that led to conflict in the region over the last several hundred How years did Poland becomes
2: so deranged who's running Poland? <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> the Russians would tell you that's a permanent condition in Warsaw. I, I wouldn't go quite that far, but uh, I think the Poles, you know, they have been encouraged by us to take the position that uh, working with us harms Russia, and anything that harms Russia must be good for Poland. I, I don't agree with that, and I think that Poland would benefit, as would everybody in Eastern Europe, from trying to get along with their neighbors. But instead of urging people to cooperate and work with their neighbors, we've done the opposite. So we've created a wonderful situation from the standpoint of regional war. We're now, we've got people in, in Poland and Romania talking about sending in quote unquote peacekeepers to Western Ukraine and Moldova. Oh boy. Well, that's, that's a prescription for a larger, larger regional war. And as I point out to people, if, you know, if this, if you push the Russians hard enough, they will mobilize the country for war. Now, are we prepared to mobilize for war, Dr. Savage? America?
2: Yeah. Well, we have we? To, we'd have to get some new uniforms and <laughs> and stuff like that. And then we'd have to retrain everybody to understand how important transgender bathrooms on nuclear submarines <laughs> might be. And we'd have to refit our nuclear submarines, <clears throat> out a few of the missile tubes and put in some a transgender bathrooms. Sure, we'd be ready after a few years. Yeah, exactly. No, we're crazy. The country's gone insane. <laughs> but I'm worried about the amount of weapons. It's, it's throwing Coleman lighter fuel on a fire that's raging almost out of control. It's going to flare, and I'm terrified. At that point, something much worse than we even expect might happen by accident.
0: Yes. No, I think your point's absolutely valid. Now, the key to this entire situation strategically in Eastern Europe is, as always, Berlin. Germany is the giant power. In other words, if you gathered every member of the EU into a room and then you sized them analogously uh, to their real economic potential and power and political influence, Germany would be seven feet tall and everyone else in the room would be five feet tall. But didn't they just agree, to Germany just agreed
2: to go along with some of the program of the other countries with regard to Russia?
0: Yes, and uh let me let me just go over a couple of things on this. First of all, the Germans said, "Well, we'll ship over something in the neighborhood of 50 anti-aircraft uh, armored fighting vehicles." Well, these things are about 30, 40 years old. There's only 23,000 rounds of ammunition on hand for 50 plus vehicles. Mm. Uh, the, the probability of these things doing anything other than rusting in the in, uh, boneyard over in uh, Ukraine is low. Secondly, uh, when you look at the Germans and their dependence on oil and gas, and they're not unique in this, hmm. you know, they're not in a position to wean themselves completely off of oil and natural gas from Russia for m- many, many years, even if they decided they wanted to. They're talking about making progress by the summer and then the fall. I don't see it happening. It's very difficult to do that. You know, this is this snap your finger in favor of combating climate change and everybody rides a bicycle tomorrow morning for in perpetuity. That's all nonsense. It's not going to happen. And then finally, you have uh, Schultz now telling everyone the world faces famine because of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia and white Russia. Well, he's right. Hmm. In some areas, there will be famines because they produce so much of the Food, wheat, barley, and so forth, in Germany. And I was on the phone yesterday with friends in Germany, and they told me that you can't buy cooking oil. Now people are worried about bread shortages. When you say cooking oil, mainly sunflower oil. Yes, from yep. Yes, and uh, well, it, I'm it an expert be, in economic botany. From here, <laughs> I, I just took off my economic botanist hat. But I mean, well, no, sunflower got, oil.
2: 50 you got a lot to work sun, with in Germany.
0: 70, Fifty and, you percent you know, of it
2: comes, it comes out of Russia.
0: Right, and and the Germans, you know, they've enjoyed a very high standard of living for a very long time, and all of a sudden they're faced with uh, the loss of this standard of living almost overnight. Uh, Mister Schultz has got problems. He's got problems with his refugees. There are ten million estimated eight to ten million Ukrainian refugees in are now in, in, in Germany. In, no, no, in in Europe. Yes, and Europe. they're now starting to pour into Germany. The German authorities are "quote unquote" assigning them to apartment blocks. Most of these apartment blocks that they're assigning them to include, in many cases, Muslim refugees. Oh Lord! So the combination of the Ukrainian refugees with the Muslim refugees is resulting in a spike in criminality. Oh, they don't get along.
2: They wouldn't get along very well since the people don't realize most
0: Ukrainians
2: are Orthodox Christians.
0: Well, the bottom line is that uh, the Germans are faced with serious internal crises. And Mr. Schultz has put himself in a difficult position. He went to see Putin and thought as a result of his discussion with Putin that he could weather the storm. We found out he can't. And he's adopted this position because of the popular views in Germany that have become a, a reflection of what our views are. Their, yeah. their media produces these pictures of the Russian army designed to convince everyone that they're like the Soviets in 1944-45, and that's not true. You've just listened to part
2: one of my interview with the great Colonel Douglas McGregor. Please join us on the Michael Savage podcast for part two of this interview. Tell five friends, will you
1: please? We need your support. Thank you. Michael Savage, a host like no other.
2: Well, loyal listeners, listen, nothing in this world is free, and there is great cost involved in creating this podcast. I'm glad you could listen to this free of charge because I have some great sponsors of this podcast. My number one sponsor is Birch Gold, who is committed to helping you discover how gold, silver, and other precious metals can help you protect your lifestyle in the face of current and coming economic instabilities. You heard me right. You need some anchors in this crazy world. Well, the following interview is part one of a talk I had with Philip Patrick from Birch Gold, where we discussed the advantage of investing in gold as an anchor to help with combating the coming recession and inflation that we're all living with. Now it's your time to act. The best way is text Savage to 989898. So Birch Gold, Philip, a pleasure to see you again. Thank you, Dr Savage, a pleasure to be here. Um, can I begin by asking a question about golds and its vol- current volatility?
3: Yeah. Um, look, we're seeing volatility all over the place, and in particular, the stock market. Uh, the S&P slumped three weeks now in a row. Precious metals were one of the only assets increasing this year. Um, gold and silver both up on the back of market volatility. So I think we've been seeing volatility across the board. Absolutely. We're taking
2: I've known people who've lost their shirts in the stock market over the last couple of weeks. I mean, really big amount of money. And it's not a funny thing. And I, I keep saying to them, what about gold? They said, well, they don't know what to do with it. And I said, it's a commodity. In addition to being an investment per se, it's an actual real commodity that's been around since ancient times. And there's a reason for it. And My position is, and I don't know if you agree with me, Philip, is if people are terrified with the war in Ukraine, or could it get worse? Could we have a breakdown in our society? What are you going to trade, a stock in the street? You're not going to take a piece of paper and trade it. Well, you have gold coins. You can buy them in different denominations, right?
3: It's absolutely correct. They're very tradable and, and, and have been used as such for centuries. And even more than that, I think they're very conducive for climates like this. You mentioned the war in Ukraine. Obviously that's adding huge inflationary pressures that we already have here in the United States. Mm-hmm. As long, as good as the stock market has been as, as, an, as an inflation hedge, you know, the numbers are suggesting we have a bubble there. So what we have in front of us, periods of potential stock market correction, we have inflation, and it's the tangible commodities that perform in that climate. Inflation drives gold and silver up. Stock market crashes drive them up. So not only are they very suitable for the worst case scenario for collapse, they're also very suitable for hedging the specific issues we have in the markets today. So I think a really- Really good climate for them.
2: Okay, so we see a war brewing that doesn't seem to end, and although all wars will end, we don't know when or if this one will end, and people are terrified right now. You know, it occurred to me, I was riding my bicycle before you and I spoke today, and I said, you know, many people are terrified of the war, and they're buying survival foods. So who's going to really eat dried survival food? And the answer is who knows, but it lasts for 20 years. I said, in a strange way, gold coins are like survival currency. You think that's it's a good idea, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty interesting concept.
3: It's. Absolutely correct uh, as well. Look, when things have gotten bad throughout history, people turn to gold as a means to sustain or as a means to trade. It, it's been used like that for centuries. And if things were to get very, very bad here in the United States, having you know well-denominated fungible precious metals always work well in these extreme scenarios and Like I said, even for those with cash in the bank, inflation today is ravaging. It's high today, and that cash is losing its buying power every day, even if we don't end up having to use our gold physically. The idea is it increases with inflation, and it protects buying power because dollars today are dying. Inflation is eroding the buying power there.
2: Philip, Russia holds a great deal of the gold stores, doesn't it?
3: Doesn't Russia, Russia? Putin's holding on to gold he is and actually central governments across the the globe now are increasing gold holdings last year I think central governments uh, came to a 30 year high in terms of gold holdings and they were dumping dollars in the same time period and it's for the same reasons that we do right they're looking at the Federal Reserve printing money devaluing essentially Mm -hmm. the global reserve currency and they're looking for a replacement as a hedge Russia in particular now are using in gold to support currency because of everything that's happening with the ruble so that's what it's used for to shore up currency governments use it in the same way that individuals can
2: people don't realize that america does not have
3: gold backing up our currency wasn't it nixon who took us off the gold it was yeah he removed us from the gold standard and quite frankly since that point things have not been the same right you know Look at the situation we're in today. We have, we have a government that's been overspending, amassing debt, fueling inflation as we've discussed. These things are only possible when your currency isn't supported by anything. You can just print and print and print money, you know. When we were on a gold standard, there had to be gold supporting every single dollar bill that was being printed. So it acted as a constraint on governments in a good way because it didn't allow them to spend what we don't have and essentially mortgage our future as we're doing today. So it was a very good thing. When
2: I was a kid, and that's a long time ago, there was a phrase, it's as good as gold. Gold hasn't changed. It's a fundamental uh, it's a fundamental period, and it hasn't changed. Uh, the dollar fluctuates. Uh, you used to be able to buy breakfast for 29 cents when I was a kid in Miami, and I'm not in Miami. I think breakfasts have gone up a little bit, included two eggs, a ham, a bacon, you know, orange juice. I mean, it's hard to believe. I told my son about it the other day because he uh, visits there. and I said, when I went when I was a kid, breakfast was 29 cents. He said, what? I said, well, what's 29 cents today? And it gives us an example of what what inflation really is. So, you know, in reality, <clears throat> Philip, you're an advertiser on my show. We all know that, and <clears throat> really the most important advertiser, because I believe in gold, or I wouldn't really have any gold company on, but I truly believe in gold. It's a survival currency. I own it. I think everyone should own it. And we're in a recession already, an inflation recession, no matter what anybody says. What will the coming recession look like in your opinion, Philip?
3: Look, it, it, it looks like it could be quite rough simply because of the numbers and the fundamentals. Like I said, this administration and, and You know, previous administrations, the Obama administration, have been printing money and fueling a bubble, both in stocks, and and that's why we're seeing the inflationary side of things. This could be really tough. We've driven the stock market to a point where it's almost nonsensical, and we're Mm -hmm. starting to see that, right? The government have raised interest rates one quarter point this year so far, and it's led to an 11% slide in the S&P. But even prior to that, the fundamental were suggesting a major correction. Price to earning ratios, a very important indicator mm-hmm. of value in the stock market. Right. E- even today, they're at thirty three. Oh There's my god. Co- yeah, it's it's thirty three. Yeah, the hey, That's an unhealthy
2: 60. number. I mean, rationally, it shouldn't be more than seven x.
3: Listen, it makes no sense. Listen to this. In all of U.S. history, the price-to-earning ratio has gone above 27 at the Great Depression when it hit 30, so lower than today. Dot-com bubble in 08, it hit 44, hit 27 in 08. Today, we're at 33. So the stock market has never been at this multiple in history without suffering a 50% drop. Then. You add the other side of it, which is the inflationary piece, right? Not only are we seeing stocks coming down, but everything else is becoming more expensive. It's reminiscent of the stagflationary climate that we saw between the 1970s and 80s, and that was a killer. There weren't options, and actually gold grew tenfold in that time period. Oh, really? In in, During the Carter years? did, yeah. Inflation was ravaging, stocks were stagnant or going down, people Mm. flooded to the safe haven properties of gold and silver.
2: Well, look, it's a nightmare scenario, and I I think most people don't have to be told any. They kind of sense this, but they don't know the details along the lines of what you're explaining right now. But the bottom line is, for the people listening to this podcast is, okay, I heard it all, Michael. Great. Now, what should I do? I mean, yeah, here's the pitch. What should they do? What should they do? Buy? Should they buy gold? bullion, gold coins, Uh, what what does your company offer? Honestly, what are you really selling?
3: So, first of all, we can help people. We only deal with physical precious metals. We're not dealing with any paper versions here.
2: Oh, that's a big deal. You're not selling an investment in a gold company.
3: No. Or a gold mining company. No. No, No. it's the tangible commodity, which for times... Like this, and the the more extreme, we're talking about hard currency here. So that's, first of all, I think the most important thing. We can help people who are either purchasing with cash. You know, you've got some cash sitting in the bank account, losing to inflation. You can purchase physical metals. We can ship those metals directly to uh, the customer or a lot of people have their wealth sitting in IRAs, 401ks, in mm-hmm. tax deferred vehicles. We can assist in rolling over any portion of those accounts, no tax implications, no penalties, and buying physical metals. In terms of what people should buy, whether it's coin or bar, it really depends on the individual. Everyone's different. Some people You know, coins are more suitable for others' bars, but we have at Birch all of the options available, widely recognized government, uh, minted coinage, as well as investment-grade bars and rounds. We have account managers there that can talk through all of the options with the customer, but at the end of the day, the customer chooses what's best for them. You
2: just heard part one of the Birch Gold Realities. Now it's your time to act. And the easiest and best way is text SAVAGE to 989898. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.